Hello, and welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm your host, Ben Shaw, and I apologize that I've been away for so long. Didn't mean to take such a break from the podcast, but life's gotten a little hectic with moving aboard Dovka and heading south. My family and I are currently in Ventura after a couple of overnight passages down the coast, first to Monterey and then to Morro Bay, then a few beautiful days in the Channel Islands before heading here. We've had a few issues with sail that didn't want to furrow and some gremlins in the engine, but nothing out of the ordinary for what's really still the shakedown part of our cruise. If you're interested in updates and following along with our travels aboard Dovka, you can visit dovka.com. That's D-O-V-K-A.com. Or get updates on Instagram at svdovka. Well, this week on the podcast, we're going on a different kind of adventure, one that's only possible every once in a while when it rains a whole bunch here in California, just like it did last winter. And it sounds like it's about to start doing again. You may have heard that the wet winter last year led to the reformation of a lake in the Central Valley called Tulare Lake. And today, I'm joined by writer Brendan Burrell, a correspondent for Outside Magazine, who, when that lake formed, decided to kayak all the way from Tulare Lake downriver towards the San Francisco Bay. He was joined by photographer Tom Folks, and together they braved putrid water, a sinking boat, being shot at, and nearly being arrested. Brendan wrote about his adventure for the November-December issue of Outside Magazine, and I'll put a link to the article in the show notes and on the Out the Gate Sailing Instagram account. So let's go paddling. A writer, a journalist. I, I wrote my first book a few years ago, and uh, you know, I've been I've been doing this thing for for fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years now. So I love writing stories about the environment, about adventure, about science. Yeah, this this trip on the river is yeah probably one of the biggest adventures I've pulled off. <laughs> what inspired you to take this journey from Tulare Lake in the San Joaquin Valley to the Bay Area? Well, yeah, as you know, we had this this incredible winter. I lived down here in the uh, hills in Los Angeles and was battling off rainstorms starting in January. Uh, you know, we had like uh, rooms in our house that were flooded, mud coming in. And all that time, you know, I'm, I'm I, you know, I think it was a few months into it. I, I read the articles in the newspaper about this, you know, phantom lake reappearing in the Central Valley. Um, and I think like anybody who lives in California, you driven through this neutral valley, usually trying to go somewhere else, like going to the Sierra, going hiking or go, you yep. know, going north to, to San Francisco. And it was just kind of this this no man's land. It was a place that I didn't really know very well. And I had a bad impression of. But I did sort of have in the back of my mind this this knowledge that there used to be this vast wetland there. And I knew, you know, how much these these rivers had been dammed and and the landscape had been transformed. So when I saw these reports of this this lake, which is called Tulare Lake, which had been destroyed in the early 20th century, coming back, 
I was like, wow, that's that's really fascinating. And then there was one little sort of note in one of these uh, news stories, I think it was in the New York Times, about two guys who had kayaked from the lake to the San Francisco Bay. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty, pretty neat. Uh, and so I just started looking, you know, I was like, is that possible? That's, you know, wow, I could do that, that trip again um, 40 years later. Uh, and it would be a great story. I'm, and and so that was that was kind of the, the the inspiration. That's really cool. Did you get did you reach out to those guys? Did you did you get to meet them before or after? Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I met both of them, uh, Bill Cooper and John Sweetser. You know, they're in their 70s now. Um, Sweetser was kind of like the hardcore kayaker. He'd been a member of the whitewater community. He'd actually fought for river access on the Kern River. And uh, Bill Cooper is a, is a conservationist. Um, so he's one of the co-founders of the uh, Kern River Parkway Foundation. And he's fought for, you know, bringing the river back into Bakersfield. Uh, he's put bike paths along the river and, and he's, a, he's an important figure down there. And both of them were way in over their heads on this trip, uh, you know, which they did during the, the 1983 floods. You know, the first thing I did was, in fact, I called them and I said, how did you guys do this? What was your exact route? Um, and I, I picked their brains and they gave me some some great advice. So you ended up going with a photographer. Remind me his name. Tom Folks. Tom Folks. And did you know Tom well at all before you spent, what, what 10 days with him on the river? Yeah, I, I'd done a story with him, uh, you know, a, a year earlier, I guess. He's also an L.A. Um, based um, dude. Uh, and I just, you know, I, 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 we were, we were reporting for Audubon magazine. We were writing about feral peacocks, which are, there's a lot of feral peacocks all over Los Angeles and they cause problems like pooping. What up. a great story. <laughs> Attacking vehicles, things like that. And so we went around and, you know, some guy who traps them and, and, you know, learned all about the culture of the peacocks. And I just, I had a great time hanging out with Tom. I felt like we had a good rapport he was based in the area and he does a lot of work on uh, on uh, he does a lot of fishing stories. He's like does fishing and hunting stories. He goes out on, um, you know, fishing in Mexico all the time. So I was like, oh, this guy likes boats. He's good to hang out with. I, I need somebody like that. So I I, I uh, teamed up with him and, and pitched the story with him. So tell us a little bit about the boats. I, I understand they were pedal powered kayaks. Why do you go that direction? Yeah, they were, Hobie is kind of the innovator in that department. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I write about this a bit in the story, um, which was, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, so in January, I had a ski accident, and that's that's what happened to my shoulder. I messed up my shoulder, um, and I didn't really know how bad it was going to be how bad it was. And so as I was pitching the story, I was like, I hope my shoulder gets better, mm. <laughs> but I was worried it wasn't. And anyways, I sort of, I, 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 and I actually don't know very much about kayaking. I'd been a whitewater kayaker when I was younger, but I hadn't really been involved in that more recently. And the, the sport has evolved in many ways where the technologies have evolved. And so you, you know, I didn't really consider sit on top kayaks initially. I thought, Oh, I'm just going to go with a straightforward sea kayak. Um, but I was very concerned about my my shoulder. And then I I, I talked to somebody else at outside and he's like, hey, have you considered these these pedal kayaks that Hobie makes? And I was like, what? I thought those things are kind of a joke. Um, like I'm kind of, you know, uh, in the story, I described them as, you know, it's like being in a seated Stairmaster. 
Um, cause actually, you know, you know, you don't pedal in a circle like a bike. So I'm a big biker also. That's the other thing. Uh-huh. You go back and forth. Um, and, uh, you know, and they're like super heavy. They're like over a hundred pounds. So portaging is terrible. Mm. Um, and I just like, I just thought this is, this is impossible. But I mean, on the plus side, it's like, you don't use your arms, um, which was good for me. And then also, I mean, it, the fact is, it is a lot easier to just, you know, we were just basically putting in hours and hours on flat water. You know, we were planning to do 10, it was going to be 10, 12 hours a day for 10 days minimum. Um, sometimes at, uh, you know, sometimes against the wind. And like, I'm not in shape to do that. I mean, I'm a big biker, but my upper body. <laughs> so, so right. I was like, and your leg muscles are stronger anyway. So yeah, might as well use yeah. that power. Yeah. So I went, so I contacted Hobie and this was kind of funny. I've never done anything like this because like, you know, outside, you know, outside was like, see what kind of boats you get. And I, I so I contacted a few places. I'd heard about another sit on top kayak that was not a pedal kayak, but was kind of, you know, the other thing is because it was going to be hot, you know, your 90 degree temperatures sea kayaking in san francisco bay it's like one thing it's nice and cool and you appreciate that you're getting splashed but when you're in the middle of the central valley you want to sort of air out and one thing bill cooper had told me is he actually got you know trench foot while he was in the boat all day just so steamy and humid so so anyways we went down um to dana point we, we contacted hobie and they're like hey we'll lend you some boats for your trip this sounds so cool they were just super nice to us so i went down and i tried them out and i was like wow i mean you can you know, get up to three, three to four miles an hour without too much work. And like, it was sort of a pace that both Tom and I felt good that we could do for 10 hours. And then you could sprint up to like five or maybe six. So they felt like they were doable. The weight was definitely a concern, but they could carry like 200 pounds a gear. I, I, I ended up contacting. So after I tested it out, I ended up contacting, you know, a guy, there's a big river race in Missouri called the the, I think the MR340, it's like a race across the whole state. Mm-hmm. And people who have people who have gone in pedal kayaks have done really well. So I got some guy's advice. He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm also, you know, I don't, I find it's much more comfortable. Just put a bunch of chamois butter on your, you know, contact points because <laughs> you're, gonna, you know, after all that time, you're going to get, get some chafing. So, uh, so then I, I felt pretty good about it. And I, we just thought it would be better for the story. And in the end, I thought it was great because I had my hands free the whole time. I'm like taking pictures. There were only a few tricky points, which I can, I can get into. The well, boats- I read that the, you, the not being able to portage led to some, uh, interesting, I should say dangerous encounters, but we'll, we'll get there. I, I first want to hear about yeah. what it was like the, this completely new lake, I mean, it's not completely new because it existed at one point, but it's reformed lake. What was it like to to launch and then paddle across this body of water? I mean, it was surreal, right? I mean, the whole process and we were, you know, we this was a bit of a guerrilla mission. You have to remember we the sheriff had come out and said, listen, the lake bottom is private property um people you know people who try to get on the lake are going to be arrested right you got kicked off the lake at one point or the river at one point we got kicked off the river that's yeah so i mean (laughs) so the lake was the lake was off limits the rivers were also they had issued an emergency order and said that you can't be on the rivers as well so but you figured as a reporter yeah you know you're reporting on this right so you have a press pass (laughs) 
I, I figured that out after I started the trip, right? I, you know, <laughs> it's a testament to my reporting knowledge that I didn't even know whether it was allowed. Yeah, because I, I kind of thought, I mean, I think there's a big, you know, issue of access in the river community and a thought that, you know, th these are navigable bodies of water. This is, you know, our, this is federal <laughs> water coming down from these mountains. And just because, you know, so somebody, you know, a local sheriff department says you can't be on the river. It's like a little bit legally dubious. Uh, but then know. it does get tricky when you're talking about water that used to be land. And <laughs> what is it really? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, so I think there there were some definitely some gray areas there. But the bottom line was it was we 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 just did we didn't want to get in trouble. We wanted to avoid authorities and just make our make our adventure and tell the story of water in the valley. And even getting to the edge of the lake was tricky because it's like there were a lot of roads were blocked off. And then we had to figure out, OK, where are we going to park our vehicle? And just just let me back up for a second. We originally wanted to repeat Bill Cooper and John Sweetser's trip. We wanted to start from Bakersfield. As we started doing some scouting, we discovered that that was no longer possible. A lot, Even though there was more water this year than the year they did it, there, the the big grower in the Tulare Lake, uh, this guy Boswell, he's a very he's a legendary figure there. He owns most of the land. They were doing different things with the dikes, and they basically like kept a huge chunk of the lake dry. So that made it kind of impossible to cross the lake from south to north. So we had to sort of go around to the north side of the lake where we put in, um, and we eventually met a local guy who had some land there, sweet guy named Vincent. Um, who I read about in the story, and he he allowed us to leave our truck there, and then he drove us to drop our our kayaks off. You started near Stratford, I understand. We, right? Yeah, south of Stratford, Lamore. I mean, it's uh, you know, we only did about five miles on the lake. Yeah, um, it was it was uh, you know, but it was it was enough. <laughs> now the lake was sort of the part I was the most worried about because it's like there's no fresh water, nowhere to camp, none of that, and it was. You know, it was weird. I mean, there's like, you know, putting in there's like cow patties floating against the shore. Um, you didn't want that water to touch you. Uh, and you it don't was. know what's under there. You don't know. I mean, they, there were descriptions of it. I mean, I think the the local the county had put out a, um, a health notification about, <laughs> about not getting in the water and about, you know, con contagious diseases and things like that. So we were like, Ugh. You know, all this fertilizer runoff. Um, there was, you know, there were chickens that had, there had been a big chicken feeding facility that was flooded. And most people, think, you know, all the chickens were, you know, drowned. Um, so it was gross. But we get out there and yeah, it was surreal. We, I mean, we got far enough away that the, sh you know, the shore vanished and we're paddling around. And then we see like some agricultural building just half submerged. Uh, every once in a while, we would feel like the bottoms of our boats scrape against like a road. Um, and, and then people perspective, this this lake rivaled Lake Tahoe in size, right? It was at it, its largest. I mean, it was larger than Lake Tahoe at one point. Wow. Um, this, this year it did. This year it got up to the size of Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Wow. Where, where does it stand now? What what I mean, we're with oh. El Nino. We're predicted to have another rain, so we might see it swell again. But what's the state of it? I haven't I haven't heard the latest. I know it's shrunk substantially. Okay, so it's there's still a lake there, but I I don't know what the latest is. Yeah. So you 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 get you get through the lake. You make it over 
over these buildings and roads and through past the dead chickens. And you're heading north, kind of towards the Delta, the San Joaquin Delta that feeds into the Bay, right? That's right. Yeah. What's the terrain like when you're when you're starting out through? I guess it's more sloughs that you're going through than actual rivers. What's a what's it like? Yeah, let me give you the the lay of the land here. So from Tulare Lake, um, you enter the Kings, the South Fork of the Kings River. Um, so in fact, the Kings flows down from the Sierra and it has a fork in it, and one fork goes south to Tulare. So Tulare's kind of was like an inland sea, had no outlet to the ocean. And that's where most of these farmers get a lot of their water from, is from that fork of the Kings River. And then there's a fork that goes north. So when we first got out of the lake, we were paddling upstream. That area, it's almost like an irrigation channel. It's very, you know, there's dikes on either side, um, and it's pretty bleak. After a little while, you start to see some, some trees here and there, but it's like, you know, there's 10 feet of trees, and then there's, you know, almond plantations or whatever. But we and were going for anybody who's taken a boat up to the Delta. I, I mean, I've never been there particularly, but but it's disconcerting to be on the water and have the land above you. You know, sometimes cars driving by on these levees. Right. You can't see anything, right? That's right. Yeah, you can't see you can't see very far away. And when we were down in the river, it's the same situation. But you all it almost makes you feel like you're in wilderness. So, I mean, because we. You know, we go up the Kings and then the, you go to the Kings for a little while and then you get on the San Joaquin. And so, I mean, there's about uh, 170 miles or so between the lake and the Delta. And and if you look on a Google map, you're like, oh, they're surrounded by farmland. They're surrounded by roads. That's not what it feels like when you're on that river. When you're on that river, it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. And if you got out, I mean, we looked at we were thinking about could we resupply along this route? And in fact, there's only a single place where you could actually walk to a store to buy any additional stuff. So we had to, you know, have 10 days of supplies. Uh, the only place where the river goes next to the road is a town called Firebow. Um, everything else, you're just, you, we would see cars in the distance on a farm. We would see an overpass, but there was nothing. This is the stretch too, where all of a sudden you hear gunshots and then there's splashes in the water next to you, right? Yeah, I mean, that was that was the very beginning. That was probably the most people we saw. That was, uh, you know, Memorial Day. Uh, we were just we were we were paddling. We things were starting to look a little bit less bleak. And this is like people were coming out, drinking beers, fishing. And then I we heard these shots in the distance um, and we're like, where's that coming from? And we were coming a little closer. There's no shots. There's no shots. And then suddenly it's like, boom, like right over my head. I look over and I see splashes to my right. So, I mean, this thing came from a bank and went down. And so I started yelling and the guy came out and he was like, oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man. Yeah, that was that was pretty sketchy. You, you talk about the remoteness of it. Where were you guys staying? We were camping where we could. I mean, you know, the, the law said even though this the river's surrounded by private land, you know, legally you're supposed to be able to camp you know, anywhere between the, the low tide and the, the high, the low water mark and the high water mark. Um, when the river's at flood stage, it was a little bit more legally dubious, <laughs> but we would, we would look around for dry spots. I mean, we camped in places, these little muddy islands that, that all, you know, basically they would smell like, you know, game. It would, you would smell like deer urine. There'd be like footprints everywhere. Like, cause other, that's the only place that animals were able to bed down during the floods. Oh, wow. Um, 
Did you yeah. have wildlife encounters? We saw lots of things. I mean, we saw like plenty of deer just kind of out. We saw uh, uh, lots of river otters, which was really cool. We saw like a family of river otters at one point, like four oh, of them. Wow. They're called a rump of otters. <laughs> um, we, we heard a beaver because beavers slap their tails when they're annoyed. And so there were a couple of times when we would just hear the slap in the water and we knew it was a beaver. So, yeah. And then just the water birds were incredible. So, I mean, the San Joaquin River, people have basically built farms right right in the floodplain. But with these, these floods, the river was several miles wide. So, you know, we would get lost in these mazes of just kind of flat water. And lots of birds sort of use this opportunity to raise their young. And in, in the springtime, when there's lots of resources, you know, we would see 20, 30, you know, 100 birds up in these trees. And these are big big cormorants and and it was beautiful yeah wow did it cool down at night i mean you were it was this was summertime right it must have been pretty hot there in the valley it gets up into triple digits well this again does not speak well to our preparation i will admit to you ben (laughs) Um, because tom and i had this conversation i mean we're making our plans and i was so you know i i was so worried about how hot and miserable it was going to be in the valley that i didn't think about just how cold it got at night and so it was like, all right, well, do we really, you know, both me and Tom were like, we're hot sleepers. Do we really need to bring a sleeping bag? And I was like, no, we're, I'm just going to bring a sheet. And I even like, and I knew it wasn't going to rain. So I didn't even bring a, 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 a rain fly for my tent. It's so embarrassing. And it was like the first night we were out there and we, the, we I mean, we slept, the, a, few, a few of the places we slept were miserable. This was one of them. The first night it was like basically a swamp. There were mosquitoes all around. We tuck into our tents and like we're freezing. I mean, the next morning, Tom and I just looked at each other and was like, oh, that was that was colder than we thought. And then with each progressive day, it got chillier and windier. And so I was like, I would like take I had I had like a ground cloth and I would like wrap that around me to sleep. I pulled out and I had an emergency blanket that I brought, but it was so old. It was, you know, vintage era blanket, you know. These these mylar you know silver things it just turned into like tinsel when I tried to unfold it. And um, every time you roll over, you wake yourself up. Yeah, that was a that was a real a real mistake. So we yeah we both we both admitted that. <laughs> oh gosh, but you must have been so exhausted that you got some sleep. It was yeah it was pretty pretty exhausting. I think Tom slept better than me, but you know we made it. <laughs> Eating freeze dried food, what camping food, right? What were you? That's right. Freeze-dried food. So, I mean, we were bringing 10 days of food. We didn't want to mess with anything. So we just, you know, that was, that was a big hit. Tom is a big, you know, gourmand. Uh, so it was, <laughs> and he loved sort of riffing on what we had. He like had a spaghetti bolognese and then he had like this Mexican taco bowl and he would talk about it all day long. He's like, That's <laughs> tonight. And I was like, all right. Well, um, I, we're not done talking about the trip on the river, but what was that? What was the first meal after you got off the off the river did you get a cold beer somewhere that's right yeah we i mean when we bailed as we did we stopped short of our plan we i looked on google maps and was like there's a mexican restaurant right here let's (laughs) do it some enchiladas and like nachos and we just did it up yeah oh that's great back on the river one of the things that sounded the scariest to me and i alluded to this earlier was when you decided not to portage around a bridge, but to go under this low bridge. Yeah, well, let me tell you, I mean, there were there were a number of things that, I mean, I haven't even talked about, which, I mean, 
the portaging w was tricky and just navigating dams was very scary. I mean, so let me just tell you that, you know, you have an, a backup paddle in case something goes wrong, but you're, when you're pedaling, you're using a rudder to, to navigate, but sometimes it's just a little bit tricky and you want to grab that paddle and then switch to paddle mode. And it's kind of like patting your head and like, you know, rather mm. doing, patting your head and, and rubbing a circle in your stomach. You're like trying to do two things at once, suddenly shifting to different mode. And there's the river's mostly flat. And then suddenly it's roaring and going towards a fucking deadly dam. Wow. So we had, I mean, we had a couple times where we just didn't scout early enough and we had, you know, we had to freak out and like get over to shore and get out. But everywhere, all the portages were a pain because there was like barbed wire. Um, there was, you know, just, you know, we had to sort of unload our gear on one side, you know, and we had a hundred pounds of gear that we would carry, you know, a few hundred feet and make multiple trips and then drag our boats. And so it was like, it was a real ordeal. So we're always looking for shortcuts. And so I think the moment you're talking about was we were up on, on, uh, sort of a branch of the San Joaquin, um, up North. And, um, you know, we'd done every permutation we'd gone over bridges. Some of them were like low enough that we could sort of float under this one, the boat would be able to float under, but we wouldn't be able to float under because okay. the water was so high. And so I got out and I was like, well, let's line the boats. And that's when you sort of tie a rope to one end of the boat and you sort of let it drift under the bridge, um, or what down, whatever obstacle you want. So I was going to be on the upstream side of the bridge and then Tom was on the downstream. And, um, you know, when I got out, I noticed there was electric fence there. Um, and, uh, it sort of was along the shoreline and because the water was so deep, it was like you were basically in and, and the banks on these rivers at flood stage were just super steep. They'd been like cut in. So it was almost like there was no sort of shallow water. You were basically, you know, slipping into the abyss or you were like grabbing onto vegetation. And so basically I'm on the edge of this thing. There's an electric fence right there and I'm having to sort of let this boat go down and the boat starts sort of swinging one direction and then swing back um, in like a little ripple. And I was like, I was like getting anxious. I was like, Tom, are you down there? Get down there. <laughs> you know, like I was afraid the boat was going to topple over. Um, but eventually he gets it. But he's just like, he's moving, you know, a little bit slower. I'm like, and I couldn't quite see what he was doing. So I climbed up on the bridge to see what was going on. And, you know, he was, he, he got the boat and then he was like walking back and I dropped back down from the bridge and I didn't see it. Um, but I think like a, there was like a loose strand of that electric uh, fence that poked me in the butt or somewhere <laughs> because suddenly I just felt like a blow to my chest. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? And I couldn't figure out what it was. I never felt anything that, that power, you know, it was like otherworldly, you know? <laughs> okay. And I, I remember just looking down cause I'm hanging over like this swirling water. Um, and if I had like passed out or something, I would have dropped into that water right there. Um, luckily I was able to sort of step down to the bank and recover. Um, but I felt pretty weird for, for the next few hours. I actually, had, I was, I burped constantly, um, which apparently is triggered by your vagus nerve getting stimulated. Wow. Um, so I kept like burping for, for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. That's scary and wild and weird. And I'm glad you recovered. Yeah. What, um, so once you got onto the San Joaquin River, mm. the scenery changed a bit, didn't it? 
that's right. I mean, so there, there, you know, there were a few beautiful places on the Kings River as well. I will say, um, but really, once you get on the San Joaquin, that I mean, that is just spectacular. I mean, parts of that river, as you know, as damaged as it is, are are gorgeous. Just these, you know, hundred year old oak trees, cottonwoods, um, and there, yeah, there were some really, really magical moments. I mean, especially, like I said, when it was like several miles wide. I mean, you felt like, you know, we were in the, you know, 18th century or something, you know, exploring California. It was, it was super cool. And I mean, every once in a while we would sort of, I mean, we saw things like, you know, you know, tractors that had been drowned. We saw, you know, we counted refrigerators that we passed. <laughs> um but uh but for the most part yeah it felt like we were in the middle of nowhere and there you know uh we pulled there there's sort of a series of wildlife refuges there on the san joaquin um there's uh um i forgot the name there's several parks and wildlife refuges just a string of them um and uh you know these are places i'd never visited and they're probably not that great to visit just from the land but do, passing through that, I mean, that was like a good 50 miles where you just really felt like you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That's so cool. And so then your bailout point, what was the final trigger that you said, okay, we need to bail out and and tell us about that bailout point? Um, well, yeah. So so Tom and I, we'd uh, sort of discussed like how far are we going to go? Um, we knew Bill Cooper and John Sweetser, they'd made it all the way to Richmond gotten out of the dock there. Um, but we knew they, you know, they had some challenges getting through that, that, um, some, some rough water on the bay. Um, and we I started so to get into some pretty major currents as you get down to, um, um, towards the bay and. Yeah. You would know that area. You would know more than that than I, than I would. I mean, I don't know. What are your experiences over there in the. the well, big... I mean, you can get some headwinds and you can get the winds against the current. Yeah. And I imagine in a paddle kayak, you can have some pretty, and if you don't time it right, it could be pretty nasty. Yeah. And so, 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 I mean, I, there, part of me felt like the accomplishment would be like, what, where does the San Francisco Bay start? Um, like, what, when could you say, like, I made it to the San Francisco Bay? That was one sort of goal. And mm -hmm. then the other thing was, you know, for me, the story was honestly, it was more about the river. It was more about what's happened in the Central Valley. Um, and so I knew like, OK, once I get to past Stockton, we're, we're basically OK. So then it's just kind of like bragging rights. How far do we, do we want to go? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, you have those those channels up there um, where their their tidal flows. And so we knew we needed to sort of time it with the tide. Um, so the night before we were, you know, leaving, uh, we, we'd stayed at a marina there in um, in the Delta called Turner Cut. And, you know, looking at the title map it look, or uh, charts, it was supposed to be we'd wake up in the morning and we'd have this beautiful, you know, fast flowing river that we would be riding on. We look out and there was it was like not moving. There was nothing. And it turned out there was just so much wind coming in that it, you know, balanced out everything. So we get out there on the water and we're just having to paddle the whole time. Mm. Um, and then, you know, basically in that Delta region, you know, you've got the little uh, channels. And then it opens up and you have sort of these these larger um, open areas. And that like when we got out of these open areas, it was, you know, there were some pretty big waves and we, we made it uh, very slowly to Bethel Island. And so this is one of the big downsides of these sit on top boats as opposed to sea kayak. So sea kayak will cut through the waves. These little boats, they're just like, pa -punk, pa -punk, pa -punk. 
And that um, stopped your forward momentum and you have to pedal harder. And yeah, wow, that is tough. We had to pedal harder. And then um, when we got down, we were like on the lee side of Bethel Island. And like there were, I mean, even in within the channel, there were, you know, four foot waves. Um, and we we pulled over and we talked to a guy on a um, at one of the marinas there. And he's like, hey, if there's, um, if there's, you know, waves like this here, when you get out to that big break, it's going to be massive. And in fact, there was a, uh, you know, a small, a small craft alert. Yeah. Um, and we were just like, ah, let's, yeah. let's bail yeah. here. <laughs> so, seems like a wise choice. And you can say you made it to the Bay Area. What yeah. did you learn from seeing the landscape from this different perspective, looking at the land from the water instead of standing on the shore and, and, and looking at the river? Well, I think it gave me a lot more respect for the sort of the landscape and the natural areas in the Central Valley. I mean, I had seen it as just kind of like on it's like industrial agriculture, you know, bio, you know, a biological desert, miserable place. Like what's there to save there? Um, but when I got on the river, I mean, it's just it was just completely different. I was like, wow, this this really is a special landscape, you know, here in California. You know, we've done, you know, there's a lot of parks. We've conserved a lot of coastal areas. We've conserved the mountains, of course. Um, but valleys uh, are not protected. <laughs> That's the place you want to farm. Um, and so, you know, and I, I don't sort of foresee a future where there's going to be a bunch of parks in the Central Valley. But I think pushing for more protection of some of these river landscapes, pushing out the floodplains to create, um, you know, more habitat for wildlife and and recreational areas for for people is is really important um and i think i also i think you know you and, and me i mean we i live in los angeles you san francisco um i mean like the i would never think i'm going to take a trip to the valley but there were a few sections of that river that you could do especially like sort of on the san joaquin that you could do a little day trip on that would just be delightful and I, I don't, I don't think, you know, uh, it's not whitewater, but it's, it's really a pleasant canoe trip. Yeah. doesn't have to just be drive through country. Yeah, that's right. And this was great. Really appreciate it. When if people want to read more about it, um, you have an article coming out in outside magazine, right? When, where should they look for that? That's right. I mean, yeah, you can find it on at bookstores, newsstands, um, and it will eventually be online. It will be in the, the November, December issue. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's show. Again, you can find Brendan's article and Tom's photos on the Outside Magazine website. The piece is titled, My Wild, Wet, and Sometimes Miserable Paddling Trip Through the Heart of California. Search Outside Magazine and Borrell, that's B-O-R-R-E-L-L, and it'll pop up. I'll also post a link on the show's Instagram account at OutTheGateSailing. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. Thanks for listening. You can reach me on Instagram or via email at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. And until next time, smooth sailing.